just freaked out a little bit. There we go. Okay, so we're continuing our series on 2 Timothy. And, you know, 2 Timothy is basically about Paul urging Timothy. Um, in the light of his imminent death, Paul is urging Timothy to faithfully preach the full counsel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Timothy's job and every pastor thereafter, Timothy, our job, my job, is to teach you the complete counsel of God as revealed in Scripture. And that's what we do expository preaching. Expository preaching is like we do it. We do it book by book, verse by verse. And the reason why I do expository preaching is because basically I don't trust myself. I don't trust my perceptions. I don't trust my opinions. I don't trust my judgments of things. So Jay Lee as a person is irrelevant. And I want to focus on what God has to say. But there is, this is quite, this is quite I didn't know it before. But expository preaching is quite dangerous because I'm finding out these days that it's dividing the Christians in my life. I'm very proud that all of you that I see before me, you guys are bearing fruit. And that's exactly what God promised. Be faithful to my word and your flock will bear fruit. And I think all of you are evidence of that. But God also, prom God also said, his word will divide. And I'm facing more the divisiveness of the word of God in my personal life. People that I, friends outside of the church who, who confess to be Christians, I find it, I find having a lot of more conflicts with them. Because I find that their faith it's not really biblically defined. So I, I asked a few friends why, you know, about their faith journey, and I think all of them, the basis of their faith, for most of them, they can point to an experience they had when they were young. This undefined, nebulous, momentary experience, and they point to that, as a basis of their faith. My job as an expository preacher is to verbalize what salvation looks like. So their basis of faith is a nebulous, undefined experience. And when I try to define what a biblical faith looks like, they find it hard to swallow. Some of them find me incredibly judgmental. I've been called a Pharisee a couple of times, all by Christians, especially the people closest to me. They called me a Pharisee for describing what the Bible tells about, describes salvation. Expository preaching reveals the nature of salvation, but it also exposes the faulty assumptions that we have about faith. And today's verses is one of these verses that challenges our assumption 
about faith, about God's love. All of us have an assumption that God loves his children equally. Right? If someone asked me, hey, who do you love more, Caleb or Charlotte? The politically correct answer is, I love them both equally. Differently, but equally. Right? Because if I say I love one child over the, over the other, I'll be a bad parent. And we think God is that way. We think God feels the same way about everyone in the church. But Paul's letter to Timothy, specifically covered in today's verses, tells us that is not true. There are people in the church that God considers honorable, and there are people in the church that God considers dishonorable. Do you understand? It isn't, I know it offends some of you. I, want, I know you want your, your God, your, our God to be this indiscriminating, fair person. But that is challenged by Paul's teaching today. Another assumption that Paul's teaching challenges today is a lot of us, because we've raised in a culture that says you cannot earn your salvation, we kind of interpret that as to mean God doesn't care how you live. In our relationship with God, most of us are focused on how God can be useful to us, right? When we, we view God as someone that we go to when we need help, when we need something. We're more focused on God as being useful to us. But for many of us, we don't, we don't think about whether we are being useful by God. We primarily think about God as someone who's being, who's, who should be useful to us. But Paul's teaching in today's verses tells us we should not be focused on whether how God is useful to us. That's not the consideration. The consideration is whether how useful we are to God. So these are the two assumptions that today's scripture teaches. Okay? I'm doing it very nicely and calmly because there are babies here. Okay? All right. So let's go. Let's study Paul's description of the church. Verse 20. Now in a great house, they are, they are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Verse 20 Paul gives a metaphor of the church. The great house in verse 20, picture the great house as like a fancy house where Jeff Bezos lives. Jeff Bezos has multiple homes. He has a very fancy house in D.C. Consider a very fancy house. That fancy house in verse 20 symbolizes the church, God's house. The great house, in verse 20, is a house belongs to God. If, that's, if 
the great house is a church belonging to God. The question, who is the master of the house? Who's the master of the house? Don't say Jeff Bezos. If, if the great house is a house belonging to God, then who is the master of that house? Come on, you can tell me who? Yeah, right? So in God's house, he says, in a great house, in God's house, they are different vessels. Vessels it basically means, you know, silverware, plates and platters and whatnot, right? He says there are, there are some vessels that are made out of gold and silver, and those are the honorable vessels. But there are also vessels that are dishonorable, vessels that are made out of wood and clay. What in the world does that mean? Vessels, once again, symbolize um, you, like plates and platters right in, in the house. Some plates and platters and buckets are made out of gold and silver. And these vessels made out of gold and silver are honorable vessels because they're used to present food and plates for during banquets and dinners. In my house, in my parents' home, my mom has these china she displays. And she only uses those chinas when guests come. They're expensive chinas, I suppose. That's why, right? But, so, but those are vessels, so those are plates that you use to serve food. These are the honorable vessels. Honorable vessels are vessels that are served food for guests, for family members. That's why they're honorable. This honorable vessels are vessels made out of wood and clay. These vessels are for dishonorable use. What is a dishonorable use? They're, they're used as trash cans. They're used as like mopping, like, you know, buckets to mop, to contain the water with. And, you know, trough, you know and, and little plates that you pour animal feed into. These wooden and clay vessels are for dishonorable use because they're not meant for human beings. They're for just these like disgusting purposes. So God is saying in his house, there are honorable vessels that God can use and there are dishonorable vessels. Are we with me so far on the metaphor? Yeah? Let me go again. No, we don't have time because we have the Lord's Supper. Then what, who are the honorable vessels that Paul describes in verse 20? Which, which are the type of people that are honorable in God's house? Who are the honorable vessels? The honorable vessels are vessels that, who are, that are useful to the master. That the Lord uses for great work. What is the great work that God uses these honorable vessels for? He uses these honorable vessels to feed the unbelieving world the word of God. He uses these honorable vessels as witnesses of the gospel so that through these honorable vessels, people will have salvation, people will change. Honorable vessels in the church, within the church are Christians whom God uses 
to present the living gospel to the unbelieving world, and through these people, God uses to save people. The best example is, the best description of an honorable vessel is verse 26. Verse 26, it says, where is verse 26? They say, God uses honorable vessels so that the unbelievers may come to their senses. Come to their senses means restoring the minds that are once lost. Awakening minds that, are war, that were once asleep. Listen to me carefully. Salvation, what salvation is, is more than a feeling, it's more than an experience. Salvation, listen to me carefully, the evidence of salvation is, is the restoration of our senses. It's the restoration of a corrupted thought, corrupted worldview, corrupted mindset. The evidence of salvation is not how long you can pray in tongues. It's not fantastic, fanatical, spiritual experiences. It's not the things that you can do for the Lord. That's not the evidence of salvation. The evidence of salvation is God using you and me to restore the lost senses of people. Many people, Paul says, an unbeliever are, are in verse 26, they are what? They are, they are snared by the devil. They are snared by the devil. Their thoughts mirror the devil's thought. But when God presents the gospel through his servants, these unbeliever, unbelieving crazy people restore their lost senses, restore their right mind again. So the honorable vessels that God uses in the church are people that God uses to, to present, to be a witness of the gospel, and by their witness, people's minds are restored. Those are the honorable vessels. And I'm here to tell you, God can use every single one of you to restore the senses of lost people. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be an extrovert. God can use, regardless of what your natural disposition, natural talents are, God can use you impact people. And that is certainly true. I was talking to Pastor Ujin last month during our pastor's meeting, and we're, we're asking each other how we're doing. He asked me, how was I doing? And I said, I'm doing fine. I'm tired, but I'm very happy. And the reason why I'm happy is, by the grace of God, he's using me to make an impact, to restore the lost sense in people. I see it around me. It doesn't mean everyone likes me. It doesn't mean I don't have to work on my relationships. But by the grace of God, even though I am not perfect by any means, ask my son. He's using me to restore lost mind, lost senses in people. 
I'm, and, and he's not doing it because I'm naturally talented. I am not. But by his grace, he's using me that way. And I am so happy because of it. Sometimes I don't sleep. That's fine. And sometimes I, don't, I, I can't golf. My wife tells me I should find a hobby. And I said, woman, when do I have time to have a hobby? Right? But even though I may not have a life, as you guys would say, I am the happiest man alive because I find myself being useful to the Lord. I'm here to tell you, the happiest we'll be is when we realize God is using us for good. There's no greater joy than that. There's no greater joy than realizing you were the tool in which God used for other people's salvation. And those are the people that God considers as useful vessels. Who are the dishonorable vessels? I think what Paul, the people that Paul is talking about in verse 20, I think they're the false teachers of the church. People who profess to be Christians, and yet they, taught, they teach false doctrine. The dishonorable vessels are the Christians in the church that God does not use to bring about salvation to other people. People who are just there. And not only are they just there, but they're negatively impacting the life of the church. They are not only not contributing to the life of the church, in fact, they're being quite destructive to the life of the church. These are the dishonorable vessels. Why, how, why are these people dishonorable? They are dishonorable perhaps because they're unclean. They, they are inundated with sin. They don't repent for their sins. They continue, continue to live life that is driven by passion and desires. And truth has no, no place in their lives. No place in their lives. Because they're so nonchalant about their sins and their rebellion. They cannot be a useful vessel to the Lord. In fact, their sins be it gossip, be it judgment, is destroying the church. These, these are perhaps useless vessels, not only because of they live in their sin, but because they're not really convinced by the truth of God's word. They're not convinced by the truth of God's word, therefore they, they convey some half-truths, incorrect understanding about God, and when they communicate their imperfect understanding about God, that can hurt the church. Small group leaders, listen to me very carefully. How you what you communicate about God can build up the church or it can destroy the church. Parents, I'm parents, I don't want to scare you, but maybe we should be scared. What you, can, what you communicate about God to your kids can build your kids' faith or it can destroy your kids' faith. 
if you're teaching to your kids is be quiet and read the Bible and that you don't explain anything about the faith, you can have a negative influence. You can be an obstacle to your children's faith. Just because we have experience with God, it doesn't give us the right to freely describe God to the people around us. You need, people are useless vessels because they have the wrong understanding and they're communicating their wrong understanding about God to the church. And Paul says, in order for you to be a useful vessel in verse 21, verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, then he'll be useful. In order for you to be an honorable vessel, a useful vessel, Paul says, cut yourself, cut your ties with people who are dishonorable vessels. People who proclaim lies and have truth in the church, Paul says, cut ties with them. Otherwise, they will influence you. Are you with me so far? Two types of people in the church. People who are honorable vessels or people who are dishonorable vessels. It should be the goal and the goal of every Christian to be an honorable vessel before the Lord. It should be your life goal to be an honorable vessel to the Lord. Because that's how God created you to be, and there is no greater joy in life than that. Now the question is, how do you become an honorable vessel? Verse 22. That's verse 22 to 26. Paul is describing how a person is to become an honorable vessel. Verse 22. How do you become an honorable vessel? Flee youthful passions. The first thing that you need to do is to flee, run away, throw away. Run away from this youthful passion. What does Paul mean by youthful passions. Youthful passions typically is used to describe um, used to describe what is used used to describe an incorrect desire, an improper desire, an improper longing that began from youth. And it typically is used to describe sexual lust. Babies can't understand English right now, right? So I can tell them, right? Youthful lust oftentimes have been interpreted as this lustful sexual desire that people start to feel when they're in their youth. This doesn't mean people were born sinless. But when people become like young, when young people, when they hit puberty, they start to feel improper. They start these unnamed, forceful desires get over us, and we are tempted to follow those lustful desires when we're young. I think, guys, you know what, what I'm talking about. When you're growing up, remember the first time you saw an inappropriate image? 
You saw it when you're young. And guys, those images that you saw when you're inappropriate, you can remember image even now. Those images, like, it's stamped in your psyche. And they have a way of affecting you. But it's not only for the guys. Women, you're, generally speaking, your lust is not really associated with naked bodies, but it's a feeling of romance. It really is. It really, it really is a feeling of romance and, 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 and belonging, hoping that this one guy, this one guy can be an answer. The one guy has the key to unlock your heart. Sounds corny. But my daughter tells me that seems to be what's going on in Centerville High School. It's really sad. Centerville High School, my, my daughter hates going there. because she, It doesn't make sense to her. Because all their teenage girlfriends are so caught up in thinking about boys in the school. But boys in that school, no offense to Centerville High School grads, are idiots. And, they, and my daughter says, those boys only talk about one thing, which is lustful thoughts. And yet these girls want the attention of these lustful, dumb guys. It's the it's strange world that my daughter inhabits. And that's why she hates going there. But whether you're a boy or you're a girl, lustful passion starts when you're young. And it continues on adulthood. Paul says, in order for you to be a useful vessel, you need to run away from these desires, these evil desires, these over-desires that start from your youth. Maybe for some of you, maybe, you're, maybe sex is not your thing. Maybe some of you, it's greed. You know, like amassing of material stuff. Or maybe some of you, it's to make a name for yourself in the society. But whether it is wealth or whether it is fame, all of it stems from the fact. All of those desires stem from when you were a child. Maybe you're not loved, and maybe the only way that you find love in this world is for people to pay attention to you. And the way that people pay attention to you, if you have more stuff, if you drive a fancy car, if you have a fancy job, then people will pay attention to you. And that desire, that longing to be paid attention to, that passion starts when you're young. And most people spend their entire lives chasing after these passions that started when they're young. Look, I love the size of my house, and I love the size of my mortgage. I do, I do. Sean Prasak would be very proud of me, right? I'm, I'm, my mortgage is very responsible. And some people tell us, you should live in a bigger house. And I'm telling you, yeah, maybe I should live in a bigger house with more more expensive house. Why? Because there's no reason for it. Because to to seem more important, 
right? People buy unnecessarily big fancy house because there's a longing of passion to prove their worth through the accumulation of such things. People can, be tra- can, people can spend their entire life, lives being trapped in the pursuit of these youthful passions. Paul says, flee from them. Don't, don't touch them. In order for you to be useful to God, flee from those things. Flee there and go where? Go to pursue, flee from youthful passions, but pursue righteousness Faith, love, and peace. In order for you to be useful to God, you need to run away from these youthful passions. And you need to first pursue righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness means having a correct relationship with God. You need to pursue a right relationship with God. Just because you're saved, it doesn't mean that your righteousness ends. Just because you're saved, it doesn't mean that your right relationship with God stops when you're you're saved. No, if you're saved, you start pursuing a right relationship with God. You enter the sphere where he exists. You get nourishment from him. You get counseling from him. God does counsel you. You get wisdom from him. You get clarity from him. Pursue God. You cannot be a useful servant if you don't pursue God. Pursue a right relationship with him. And the right relationship with him is the relationship of dependence. A relationship of thanksgiving, a relationship of clear, clear understanding, a relationship with all, a relationship where you cannot live your life without God. Pursue a right relationship with him. That is why I absolutely agree with Francis Chan when he says he will fire associate pastors who do not spend time alone with God. And the reason I agree with such harsh treatment of those pastors is because a servant who doesn't spend time alone with God, a servant who doesn't pursue righteous, a right relationship with God, is a useless servant. It doesn't matter what you, how much you serve on a Sunday. And it doesn't matter the committees that you're involved in. It doesn't matter any of that. If you do not pursue a right relationship with God, then even the things that you do at the church, we perhaps be useless. Some people substitute having a right, pursuing a right relationship with God with serving God on Sunday. In their mind, some people in their minds, they think, as long as I got served God on church on a Sunday, I don't need to have a right relationship with him. That's not true. It's the opposite. It's because you serve God on Sunday, you need a right relationship with him. Like I said before, if you don't have a right relationship with God, you will start to speak or do things that will hurt the church. Even if you serve the church, if you don't have a right relationship with God, you can hurt the church by your service. Can you, did you ever think about that? I'm getting passionate now. 
those who serve God on any committee, you can affect the church. Therefore, pursue a right relationship with God. Pursuing a right relationship with God means not only being nourished by him, being inspired by him, think his thoughts, think your thoughts after him. Let, let him dictate and govern the perception of your life. And strive to live correctly. Strive to live a right life. That's how you become useful. Second, how do you become a useful servant, Paul says? Pursue righteousness. What else? He says, pursue faith. Faith. Pistos. It means a life that is reliant upon the thing that you have faith in. Pursuing faith here means, guys, have a correct understanding about the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You need to be an expert, subject matter expert on Jesus Christ. I'm going to cut you a little bit, and this is what I'm going to say. Because you believe yourself to be saved, you believe yourself to, you believe somehow that you understand Jesus Christ. You say, Just, yes, I am saved, therefore I understand Jesus. I don't think that's true. Because the knowledge of Jesus Christ is, is limitless. You cannot, you cannot exhaust your understanding of Jesus Christ because he's the word, he's the logos of the universe. How much do you understand about Jesus Christ, the subject and object of your faith? Before you want to do things for him, do you know him and do you understand him? Pursue faith means pursue understanding about Jesus Christ, what it means for him to be God, what, he, what it means for him to obey God, what it means for him to sacrifice his life for you. Be an expert on Jesus Christ. Oh, I long for people, more people, to be expert about Jesus Christ. I wish more pastors would be experts about Jesus Christ. I wish more small group leaders, I wish more Christians would be experts about Jesus Christ because that's the most important thing. Living, pursue faith means be an expert in Jesus Christ. Pursue faith means also live a life of constant dependence on him. Little things, big things, grand things, small things. Whether finding a parking spot in, a, in, in, in Daniel Chung's apartment. By the way, I always pray when I go there and always find street parking. Fantastic. Praise God. Right? Even finding street parking in front of Daniel's and Rebecca's apartment is a sort of great encouragement to me. Why do you pray for parking? Because I depend upon God for all things. Your life and my life, if you're a Christian, God designed your life to be a, live, a, live, a living a life of constant dependence on God. Like I said before, my job, I love my firm job. I love being a lawyer, but I also, and one of the reasons why I love being a lawyer is I don't know when they will fire me. I love being, I don't love it, but it's, I appreciate it. Look, look, like, 
Yesterday, on Friday, we got an email saying, our head of HR has left the firm. I go, what? <laughs> and I go, oh. Once again, God reminds you, nothing's set, nothing's permanent. Depend upon God for your job. Depend on God for everything. Pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue understanding of Jesus Christ, pursue a life that is constantly dependent upon him, pursue love. Love here, love here, and pursue the love of God. Once again, love of God is not how God makes you feel. That's not the type of love that Paul describes here. The love that our love for God is always involves our all of God. How much are we in all of God? How much are we in respect? How much are we respecting God? How much are we obeying God? How much are we fearing God? The love of God is all about all respect. Fear and obedience. It's not only loving God as a daddy, but it's recognizing God is God. And you live a life underneath this huge God. That's what it means to pursue love. Having a grand understanding about God and living your life in obedience to this great God. Pursue love, pursue sacrificial love, not only for God, but pursue sacrificial love for the people in your life. You want to be a useful vessel? Pursue a life, pursue a life where you will love the people in your life sacrificially. Look, once a month, I take a small group break because most of you take once a month small group break, right? So I I should take one too, right? But you say, but Peter, you're getting paid. Okay. Right? Okay, fine. Right? But I need the once a month off because I need that once a month Friday to, to talk to my wife and, and, and just have, have a date night with her. Last Friday, I was date night with my wife. And I talked to her in the course of, on Friday, I talked to her for like from 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. How many hours is that? 10 hours. Right? On Saturday, I went out again, and I talked to her from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Just her and me constantly talking. Just walking around the corner, constantly talking. You show your love for the people in your life. Caleb had a hard time last, last week. My wife drove down to Charlottesville just to talk to him and have lunch with him. If you're suffering, I will go out and I will will do everything to talk to you. Sacrificial love. If you want to be a useful vessel, have sacrificial love for the people in your life. If you want to be a useful vessel, have peace. Peace here means shalom. Shalom means God making broken things whole again. That's what shalom, shalom means. God, mending things that are broken. Pursuing peace means, first of all, let God mend your broken relationship with him. Let God mend things that are broken within you. And let God mend broken relationships in your life. The great thing about God is this. 
when you pursue him, he starts mending you. He starts making you whole. Brothers, you're young and you don't think you're broken, but trust me when I say you're broken. Oh, I see your brokenness. Just give me five minutes and I'll tell you how you're broken. You just don't know it yet, but you are. But in God, God mends things that are broken. And God mends things that are in your, the, the, the relationships that are broken in your life. Pursue peace means let God mend your broken relationships. He does it. Sometimes I think my life, my Christian life is all about God taking years to mend things that are broken within me. Pursue, flee from foolish youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, love, faith, peace. And Paul says, along with those who call on the, on the Lord for, from a pure heart. What this means is you pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace within the community of believers. God has never told you to pursue these things on your own. You pursue these things within the context of the church. As you listen to the preaching, as you fellowship with your brothers and sisters, as you receive counseling from the pastor. As you serve the church and the people in the church, you pursue righteousness, love, and peace, and faith within the context of this church. Do you understand? Stop thinking individualistically, think communally. God manifests his power within you, within the community of believers. For those of you who think, I will leave this church, I will go to a church that I can just listen to a sermon and just peace out, I'm here to tell you, that's very dangerous for you. Because you need to be involved within the community of believers so that you can pursue righteousness, love, peace, peace, and faith. Okay? If you do this, if you live a life like this, will, will not God use you to make a difference in your life? Look, it doesn't mean to give up your job, certainly not. But you could pursue this in your busy schedules, in your regular life, you can, this can be the way you live in your regular life. I'm the example of the fact that you can do this. You don't need to be a full-time pastor to do this. You can be a full-time lawyer. You can be a, you can be a I guess, a part-time pastor, I suppose, right? You can be a father of, you can be a wife who, who needs constant counseling, husband of, wife, husband of a wife who needs counseling. You can, you can live your life this way. You can be busy, but within the context of your life, you can pursue God. You can. 
and you must in order for God to use you as an honorable vessel. Are you an honorable vessel? Is God using you to make a difference? Guys, you're, as my children grow, I, I, I experienced my, the, the limitation I have as a parent. As passionate I am about the gospel, about God, I cannot transfer this passion to my children. I cannot. But the hope is, if, if I faithfully pursue righteousness, peace, love, and faith amongst you, then God will somehow use me to restore senses, to sense, a proper sense to my children. Parents, the only way you can be an instrument to restore sense in your children is for you to pursue righteousness, love, peace, and faith within the context of this church. I can provide, look, I'm reading a book called Bad Therapy, and that bad therapy is about the limitation of counseling. Basically, that book, premise of the book is modern counseling, besides for few cases that are clearly medically induced pain, most counseling is bogus. It doesn't help people at all. That's just, the, the, it's pretty, they have numbers to prove it. If you think, and I think, and they say, the premise of the book is parents put their children in therapy because they believe a therapist can make them whole. And that book is saying, no, they cannot. Your hope is not a therapist. The premise of the book is parents are the source of mental health. And parents, I know you have young children, but the way you positively impact your young children is for you to pursue God so that he will restore a sense in you. Do you understand? Oh, man, I covered until verse 26, so I guess I don't have to... I can't do it today, right? But that's the sermon for today. So small group leaders, you can cover until verse 22. Okay? Let's pray.